Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 366. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining me today, along with Dr. Natalie Crawford. Now, you may follow Dr. Natalie Crawford on Instagram. She's Natalie Crawford, MD. And I recently had the opportunity to meet Natalie in person, and we had a great conversation. And even before we met, I had reached out to her to come on this podcast to talk about being a woman in medicine and kind of the whole journey from for, for you as a pre-med student and getting that pushback and getting the resistance, being told that you shouldn't do this or maybe that you can't because you are a female. And so we're going to have a great conversation all about how as a woman in medicine, you can do whatever you want. Dr. Natalie Crawford, thanks for joining me on the Pre-Med Ears. How are you? Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. You're one of the rare guests that has made the crossover from specialty stories to pre-med years. So so you are in rare company. I feel very, very special. (laughs) And even more special since we met in real life recently. So that's fun. I know. Now we're IRL friends. So that's even better. Yes. Awesome. So you have a platform called As a Woman or a podcast called As a Woman. And your messaging, your branding is really on point for helping women, not only in medicine, but just women in general, find their voice, find their power and really lean into what it is to be a woman. Would you agree with that? Yes, I think you described it really well. And because of that, and because of kind of the the experiences that I have talking to pre-meds who are on this journey and going and speaking at conferences and, and classes, et cetera, I hear a lot from women that they get told all the time, like, don't you want a family? Or this is too hard for you. Or like, you should just stay at home, right? All this, the things that we thought we had left in the past are still coming up to this day. And so I reached out to you. I said, Natalie, come on the podcast and let's talk about women in medicine and women on this journey to become physicians. And and hopefully we can hope or help a lot of women on this journey really have the confidence to know that it's possible, have the confidence to put the naysayers to rest and, and really do this if this is what they want. So that's, that was my goal in reaching out to you. 
Thank you so much. You know, I'm really passionate about this. My podcast as a woman started very organically. I was on Instagram and my premise when I first started my Instagram was to educate people, young women, about their fertility and show young women what it's like on the other side because I had no female mentors when I was going through this process when I was a pre-med or I was a med student. I didn't ever know what it would be like after training and when you hear something so much like this is too hard should you do something easier what about being a mom what about getting married what about your family you're going to miss everything it really does start to penetrate your subconscious and change how you view yourself if you're actually capable of it and i know it did to me along the journey mm-hmm. and i just thought that if i could be putting out there things that i've learned or what my life looked like now perhaps younger women it would resonate with them. And what I have found is that it really has because unfortunately, I mean, I really, really was surprised in some ways to find out that the same things I was being told when I was a pre-med so long ago, they're still getting told the exact same things. A new generation is, you know, mentoring them along the way. And yet, why are they still having the same discussions? Mm -hmm. It floored me to the point that I just felt like I need to come be a bigger voice and say that this, gender bias, whether it's conscious or subconscious, is is really impacting the trajectory of some of these young women's lives. Yeah. And just to 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 put some hope into the conversation, right? We this last year, as we're recording this, this past year uh, that we have data for for students applying to medical school. It's the first year we had both a majority of students applying to medical school and getting into medical school were women. So that's awesome. Yes, I think it's wonderful. I certainly think, I mean, of course, I believe women have a place in this world and in no way do I want to be negative. I'm just acknowledging that there are people who are doubting you along the way and learning to deal with that. Mm -hmm. When I started to really think about it, one thing I realized about myself, and so I'm applying this to younger women, is that I'm a big pleaser. And I think a lot of little girls are brought up this way, that some of the currency is in making other people happy with your decisions. And certainly there's this applies to some guys too. Mm. But I think as an overarching goal, when you want to please people and then you start getting some, I don't even want to say negative criticism, but some doubts on your plan, it feels like you're not pleasing somebody. And then you start to wonder if you can really do it. Then you start to doubt. Then you start to feel like maybe I should do something easier. And then you start changing your path. And even if it's you're already in med school and you feel this way, sometimes it is choosing a specialty that is perceived easier or more family friendly. Or sometimes it happens at the pre-med level where somebody wants to go to medical school and then feels like, oh, I'm getting this pressure. Maybe I should be a PA or a nurse practitioner or a nurse. And that that job is what they then look for when their heart really is in being a doctor. Mm. And I know that I heard that too. I think those are all wonderful jobs. You and I both believe that healthcare is a team, but they all are good in their different ways. You need to fit the one that really fits you and your goals and not just what everyone's telling you you should be doing. Yeah. Let's, let's rewind the story on your, your story. When did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor? So my grandfather was a psychiatrist and he loved his job and always used to joke that he wanted everybody to be a doctor. He'd ask us at the dinner table, what type of doctor are you going to be? And so it was a running family joke 
But I knew that he loved his job and I was smart and I liked science and I liked the body. So going into medicine really appealed to me because I saw him. And one thing he always said is if you can make your living taking care of other people, you'll be happier than if you're making it just by making money. And that really resonated with me. And so I really was drawn towards medicine from a really early age. I had no idea I'd be doing the job I'm doing now. Yeah. But I always thought that that idea of being a doctor really let you be in charge, know everything, kind of be an expert and help people all while making a good living. It kind of checked all the boxes for me. When was the first time that you can remember getting that criticism or getting that doubt planted in your head from someone else? Oh, the whole way. I mean, in high school and in college specifically. So I went to Auburn, which I love, to War Eagle. Go Gators. I know, I know. You know, it's a very Southern school and nothing against it, but I really, I got feedback all the time from my pre-med advisor. You know, you can't, you shouldn't do this. You should do something else. I like to talk to my girls to go into nursing or pharmacy instead because it's lifestyle friendly. Really got told no hard in college, despite the fact that, you know, I had good grades. I mean, I told you, I, I got a C in organic chemistry, but otherwise I did really good. I was involved. I worked hard on the MCAT and I got this no that really felt like just on the basis of being a girl. In high school, it was more like, oh, Natalie's going to go to meds. I'd say, I want to go to med school. They'd be like, oh, okay. Like it was a (laughs) cute idea, you know? Um, But I graduated in the top of my class. There was no reason why if if I was a guy who said the same thing, I don't feel that I would have been doubted in the same fashion. Yeah. And the the feedback from the advisor or from whoever's giving it to you of, oh, it's more lifestyle friendly. It seems like that's code for have a family, be a, be a good wife, be a good mom. Yes. You won't get married or find somebody who wants to marry you, or you won't be able to have kids or be a good mom to your kids if you have them, if you become a doctor. That's the message, even if it's not said in those exact words. That's the message you're being told. And if you, like me, I, I knew I wanted to be a mom and have a family someday. I wasn't at all ready at that age, but I knew I wanted to. And so that really, it does pull at a part of you. Are you making a decision right now for something you love and you're passionate about? And are you closing other doors without realizing it? And here's this older person essentially telling you that you are. Yeah. How did you get past that? I just decided I was not going to believe her and I was going to show her by getting into med school. It just really fueled my fire a little bit more, but I completely see, I had a really close friend in college and we had the same advisor and we were both pre-med from day number one and she went into pharmacy. And I really think that a lot of it was the same interaction. She just took it a different way. And not that maybe that's the perfect choice for her, but at the time I took that and I really said, okay, well, I know this is what I want to do and I have control over this. I don't have control over getting married or having kids right now. So I'm going to keep on going and figure it out later. It seems like this story, like what we're talking about right now is, is women going into medicine and hearing the doubt from others about, uh, about just gender stereotyping about women and, and what they should be doing. But 
a student listening to this who may be a male, maybe they stopped listening already, but hopefully they're still listening. (laughs) Um, Maybe they're a male or maybe they're a female and they're coming from an underrepresented background, a disadvantaged background where they're also being told like, you can't do that. You need to do this other thing, right? People like us can't be doctors. And it seems like it's the same messaging around just doubting someone's journey. How, How do you think that that correlates there? Oh, I completely agree. I think that when you are being discriminated against for whatever reason it is, it comes from a lot of different levels, whether it's you can't take the time, you don't have money to do this, you, you know, doctors don't look like you, whatever that means to the person who's saying it. It really applies to everybody broadly. And it's such a disservice because it makes you doubt your own goals as an individual. We don't want to invest tons of time and money and emotional effort into something if it's wrong for us. And when you're looking especially to the people for guidance, like a pre-med advisor, and they're telling you this, it feels really harsh. Like they hold the keys to the kingdom, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So a student listening to this, let's, let's kind of stick with our, our main female uh, conversation here. So a, a woman listening to this, who is a, a, let's say a typical pre-med student, they're in undergrad, they're not ready to have a family now, they know they want a family in the future, whatever that looks like. What type of mom and family and, and, and whatever that looks like for each student, give them some reassurance that they can do what they want. And, and it, it can, they can be a good mom and a good wife or spouse in, in whatever role that is. Yes. All these advisors, these other people who are not doing the job, but yet telling you that you can't do it, they are completely wrong. You can have a wonderful family life. You can be a great doctor. You can be an amazing mom. You can, you determine your future later. You make the choices for how it's going to look. And I really think this is where I hope at least that social media in some way is not this negative thing that's making you compare yourself to everybody else, but actually showing you that not just me, but there are amazing physician moms out there putting their lives out there, the good and the bad, to show you that this is, it takes balance, it takes work, you're going to need help. Some days you'll doctor more, some days you'll mom more, but you'll get it done and you'll be happy. And I never saw that. That wasn't there. Those people were not transparent to me. So I think that's the beauty of social media and the world we live in right now is you can actually see women who are where you want to be and know that it can be done because it can certainly be done. That's the thing is that these people who are telling you this really do not know. And I don't know. I've always wondered, Ryan, is it rooted out of jealousy in some way or Mm -hmm. some type of resentment that the person who's telling you this, it's not that they're, you know, a female physician who's doing X, Y, or Z, it's usually somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so why are they trying to hold you back instead of just encourage you to kind of follow your pathway and chase your dreams and figure out the details later? That's what I tell young girls. You can absolutely do it. You have to know this is for you, but that goes for any field. You want to know what you're getting into and that's easier now. It's a great job and I love it so much. I would not be happy being any of those other things. Yeah. Even though they're, they're great jobs, they, they would totally be wrong for me. So if I had listened to that advice, it would be completely the wrong thing. But 
it really can knock down your confidence and make you make a different decision purely based off those type of interactions. Yeah. And I've, I've seen that regret from PAs who reach out to me go and, and say, like, I went the PA route or I went the nursing route or whatever that may be. I went that route because I didn't think I could be a mom and a doctor. I went that route because I was told I couldn't do it. And I regret it. And I want to be a doctor. And so I'm going to go back to medical school now. And obviously... Um, it, it obviously cuts their doctoring career shorter and they've, they've accrued some more debts and, and I don't want to say wasted time, but, but they've, they've, uh, taken a longer path to get to where they ultimately needed to be. Yeah. I've had those people reach out to me too. And it's heartbreaking a little bit because you feel like you can see the young woman on her journey and then somebody kind of tells her a different path is better. And so she believes this person and then realizes that she was right all along. She just lost faith in herself, started doubting if it was possible, believed what society was telling her, didn't have anywhere to go to get other information. And so changed this route. I think so much of it is not allowing yourself to be true to who you are and believing in yourself, really mm -hmm. getting rooted down on these expectations of others or this fear of failing because there is a big fear of putting yourself out there and not being able to do something which I always tell everybody that's that's the good place if you're afraid that you may fail it means you probably really want it and you should lean into that and not let it scare you yeah means you care right, right whether yeah. whether you're afraid of failing of being a good mom or afraid of failing of getting into medical school or being a good doctor right that means you care and and you're obviously thinking about it and, and are gonna hopefully put the effort towards it yeah you're probably gonna be better about it because it matters to you because yeah. if you didn't matter you wouldn't care if you failed so millennials have this broad stereotype of being this generation that wants work-life balance as a physician mom, do you think you have work-life balance or is there even such a thing? Oh, one, I definitely think there is such a thing. I 100% did not have it for years. And so I'm acutely aware of what it looks like when work way outweighs your family life. I think nothing's going to be perfectly balanced on a given day. And I mm -hmm. think what anybody needs for balance is completely different. So what it works for me and my family is not going to work for somebody else and her family. And that's okay. That's the problem we get into is we do this comparison game of what works for this person. So I'm going to try that. The truth is that I think, and this is my belief, children benefit from seeing you happy and succeed mm -hmm. and achieving things. And that inspires them and opens up their world. So even though I may not be home all the time, or I may travel for work now, or I don't take them to school in the morning because I start my days early, I end my days early. So I get to pick them up and I get to have dinner with them. And I try not to schedule any meetings during that time that I'm with them. Those are my time with them. And I think that everybody has their own definition of that, but it's completely possible. I don't love, I hear people say all the time, work-life balance doesn't exist. It's no such thing. Or people will use different words for it, which I'm fine with. I think people will say like, it's a blend or it's a scale. Mm -hmm. But I think the reality is if you have two things you're passionate about, of course they have to be in balance and it's going to weigh different amounts on different times. But that's okay. It's okay that some days it'll be more one and some days more the other. I, I'm always afraid of people like that just doesn't exist. They're in a little bit of denial that maybe they're totally untipped most of the time. Yeah. 
And I think I heard somebody say a while ago or, or explain kind of just life in general, that there are different seasons, right? And obviously, if you have kids during medical school and residency, that that work-life balance is going to look completely different than once you're in attending and kind of can set your own schedule. And, and really understanding the season that you're in and this journey and 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 forgiving yourself for whatever that looks like in that moment. Oh, I love that so much. I tell I tell my patients all the time. Of course, they're usually stuck in this infertility season or I call it a chapter. Mm -hmm. And I say, you know, it's always going to be finite, but when you're in it, it's the hardest time. And that applies to having children too. Whatever your journey is going to look like, it doesn't matter. This chapter is going to be tough. It doesn't matter if you add that chapter to medical school or you add it to your first year being an attending, people are really resilient when they know what's coming. So if you evaluate your choices and you think, hey, this is when my family is ready and it's going to be hard, I always tell people go for it because it's going to be hard no matter what. And you don't know what life is going to throw at you. And if you're feeling ready, you should do it because the truth is you're never, you know this, you're never like really, really, really ready. <laughs> never. Um, be, I mean, being a parent is amazing. I love being a mom, but it rocked my world. It's just as far as all the the time that it takes and the mm -hmm. emotions that go into it. And it's both the best and the very hardest thing. It's much harder than being a doctor was becoming a parent. Yeah. And I think partly because it happens so acutely, you know, you kind of are ready and then suddenly you have this baby and you now have to keep it alive. And it's, <laughs> you know I mean, right. Like it's a lot. Uh, but it's beautiful. And I and I love being a mom and I wouldn't change anything. You know, there I suffered from infertility. So I see the young girls trying to plan. I want to have my kid at this time period. And you just don't know if it's going to take you three years to get there. So you can't really view it as perfectly as we love to plan everything else out. Those of us who are in medicine, we love to be planners. So I yeah. think you have to know that the universe has its own paradigm too. So your perfect time may not be the perfect time of the universe. You just got to go for it at some moment. How does it work or what what advice would you give a student, uh, a pre-med student or even a medical student or whoever on this journey for being okay asking for support along the way? Oh, this is one of my favorite topics because I think that there is this idea that doing it by yourself equals strength and that strength is what everybody needs. And I always say vulnerability is actually strength. Mm -hmm. Having insight into what you need and being okay asking help, that only one strengthens your bond between people. So it's going to make you closer friends or closer co-residents if you're able to be honest and declare what you need and ask for it. And it's going to help everybody in the end because if you just get burnt out on whatever we're talking about, that's not good for anybody. So if you're parenting and you need more help, it's okay to ask for more help or ask for help from your friends. I ask for help from my friends now all the time. And even little things, of course, my life is much different now, but can you get the balloons for the birthday party? Because I'm going to be late. Or can you take her to ballet? Can you do this? And people usually love to help other people. They like to make people happy. So it's not as much of a burden as we feel like it's a burden. And I always think... The biggest thing that I hear from young women is I'd love to have a baby in residency, mm. but I don't want to be putting out my other co-residents. I don't want to have to be leaning on them or making them work too much. I'm fearful of that. And what I always say is give people the opportunity to step up because I think most of the time you'll be surprised 
how happy they all will be for you and how they don't mind covering those extra calls because they're excited for this new phase of your life. Give them the chance to rise to that occasion and just don't presume that it's going to be this dreadful thing. That's how it was in my residency. We're crazy busy. But anytime somebody had a child, it was really this joyful thing because you're so close with your co-residents that it really felt like the residency was having a child and it was very exciting. But I know, and you could see, you know, the person who was happening to felt so guilty about it. And that's just the wrong emotion completely, don't you think? I, oh, I, I thousand percent agree. And I think it's part of the reason why we have so much burnout among physicians is that we think we have to be uh, like impenetrable and we can't get sick. And we're told by people that we can't get sick during residency and during rotations or whatever it may be. And so when you get to this point where it's like, hey, I'm going to take a lot of time off, relatively speaking, uh, to have a baby, which is quote unquote elective, right? Um, then then it's you think it's frowned upon. And, and maybe there are some programs out there that frown upon it and some people out there that frown upon it. But I think as a society and as a medical culture, it's something that we we need to chip away at. It's one of the things when I started as a woman, it first started as a hashtag campaign. So I started using it in some posts describing life in medicine as a woman. And other people started sharing it and posting their own stories or reaching out to me with direct messages. And the common theme from young women in training was the, I was told I couldn't get pregnant I was asked in my interview about getting pregnant, even though I know that they shouldn't. I was told by my attending there should be birth control in the water. It's all coming from the the people above you, you know, Mm -hmm. not the people in your same zone, but this kind of feeling from above that you can't do this now Mm -hmm. or else. And I I completely agree because I've been there. But I say, what is the or else? What is it? Really, what is it, right? Um, I think that, it's just such a hard burden because it same thing like being told you can't go into medical school, being told do not have a baby right now, even though nobody says do not have a baby right now. It feels very strong. And those those things sway young women. And I see them on the back end now. You know, female physicians have doubled the rate of infertility as the general population. Mm. That's a lot. That's crazy. And we yeah. think it's a combination of stress. Yep. So, you know, the crazy work environment, what we do to our bodies during the time and, you know, delay in conception attempts. We don't even start the journey till later. So we don't find out if there's issues until a later stage in the game. And it's really, th- those are shocking numbers. One out of four is the incidence for infertility for female physicians. Yeah. What about for the non-traditional? A lot of my listeners are non-traditional students and they have older kids that are three, four, five, six, seven, whatever. And they can understand like mom is going back to school. And and I hear from a lot of non-traditional students that they they don't think that that's good for their kid. And I, I push oh, back I and I'm like, that's the so best good. thing to show that you can chase whatever you want and do whatever you want. What 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 do you say to that non-traditional student who's worried about whether they're a stay-at-home mom now or or they have more of that availability for their kid and then that's all going to change for a little while. They can't be you if they can't see you. Having your child see you achieving your dreams is the number one thing you can do to tell them that they can achieve theirs. I completely believe that. Yeah, I like that. Right. I mean, I just think that that speaks for itself. You, even though we feel guilty that we're not dropping them off at ballet, the act of you doing this thing that 
you're passionate about and that matters to you, especially in medicine, when we're saying you're also going to change the lives of other people, you're going to make a difference in the world. That's worth fighting for. And that is going to leave a lasting impact on your child, probably more than taking them to dance class would. Mm -hmm. What's the hardest conversation you've had to have, had to have with your kids about not being there for something? A lot of it is just when I go out of town. So on a day-to-day, I feel like for the most part, I'm you know really balanced. They're fine with how the schedule works, that I don't, they don't see me in the morning, but they see me in the evening. But when I'm going out of town, and I know you travel a lot too, so this has happened more in the past year. I've had opportunities that I've wanted to chase them. They, I, and my kids are four and five, so they're old enough to really feel sad about it. Mm. And there's that I'm not there. And I think just trying to explain to them that mommy's, you know, going to do these things to help more people and I'll be home soon and it'll be okay. And it just tugs at your heartstrings when they're crying a little bit, just because they're, they're going to miss you and they don't fully understand all of it yet. I think my day-to-day is actually easier because they really are aware mommy's going to go help patients right now, but mommy's going to a conference or going to go speak at a thing. That's a little more abstract. So I don't think that they can grasp why I'm leaving them for some of those things quite yet. Yeah. I I recently had that experience where I was uh, gone for like six days and then I came home for one night and then had to turn around and leave again. (laughs) I I saw my daughter at school and she hugged me. She's like, I'm so glad you're home, but you're leaving again tomorrow. She knew that I was leaving. And I was like, oh, like just heartbreaking. But she understands. And again, she sees. And I mean, we're blessed, obviously, in today's day and age where we have the technology to FaceTime or Skype or whatever and and actually be more present than, than any time in history. Yeah, I totally agree. They love to see the hotel rooms yep. and, you know, look out the window at the view. And I think that being able to talk to them makes it a lot easier. I can't imagine if this was, you know, where you just be gone and you don't hear from, you don't get to see those stages of them. So it's fun to hear about their day and to FaceTime. Yeah. It's actually easier now, even though they'll be sad about it a little bit. It's easier because they can have conversations and I can call and talk to them. Not like over when they're younger, it's just, there's so much mom guilt about not being there when they're two, which in hindsight, you're like, oh, they have no idea you're not there when you're two. Like, don't let there be any guilt about that. Yeah. It it obviously didn't resonate with me as much as a man, but during medical school, we had a panel and, and one of the women on the panel was a neurosurgeon. And, and she talked about it. She's like, the kids don't need you when they're babies, right? <laughs> when they're growing up, obviously they need milk of some sort, whether it's formula or breast milk or whatever, but they don't need you. And, and you have the most guilt around that age. But when they really need you is, is potentially when they're starting to come home from school and ask questions about things and all this stuff. They're like, get all of your training in now and you'll be fine and, and drop the mom guilt. I think it's really the, the biggest message. I have found that, you know, you're going to find something to feel guilty about no matter what it is, but you'll figure it out as you approach these different seasons. You're completely right. I had terrible work-life balance. My kids weren't quite in school. I figured it out. I got really burnt out. I left. I have a new job, but my daughter's in kindergarten now and being able to be home when she gets home from school and talk about her day and practice her letters and her numbers, those things matter to her. And Mm -hmm. so it is a much better environment than if I were still in a job where I was working till 6 or 7 p.m. at night. That just wasn't going to fly anymore. So you can tolerate certain things for certain seasons, but you're always going to feel guilty about something. 
But if you have clear purpose and vision of what you're doing, this is the number one thing I tell medical students or pre-meds. Don't pick a field or a job that you feel like is going to be more lifestyle friendly because it will never be worth it if you're not passionate about it and you don't love it, no matter what you're doing. You're not going to want to leave your baby at home. You're not going to want to miss certain things if it's for something that you don't really care about. Mm. So if you're picking something because you think it will be easier, it will actually be harder because you won't be passionate about it. It will be easier even if the work is harder if you love it, because it matters to you. And that's where I think society gets us all wrong. We get into this, we got to pick lifestyle friendly. I need a career that's lifestyle friendly or a specialty. And the truth is, we really just need to pick something that we love and we're passionate about. And we can figure out the details later. When you're done with training, you can have a lot more control than you think over your schedule and you'll make it work. You can make more money and work more. You can make more money and work less like I do right now. It's all going to be okay. But if you are not passionate about the work, whatever it is, none of it will be worth leaving your babies at home. None of yeah. it. Yeah. And I completely see that my my wife, who's a neurologist, has gone through this recently where she was burnt out with where she was at and she thought it was just clinical medicine and the workload and everything else. And so she switched to something else and and that really wasn't it. Now she's in a position now where she's working more than she's ever worked before, but she is so happy and so passionate. She's finally found the the right thing for her. And so even like being out, out into the world of medicine for many years, she's still figuring it out and, and that's okay to to still be figuring it out as you go. I think most of the time you will. And part of it is because you're not given that full autonomy at a certain stage. You don't know what will matter to you until you figure it out later. Yep. And I think it's all okay. I think in medicine, the stakes feel so high because it takes so long to get to that end game that then it feels like we better be happy with it right now. I really think a huge part of burnout, as we talked about before, is not feeling confident in yourself to make the choice that's true to your heart mm. or for whatever reason it is, you know, not being able to make that true decision or recognize that something's wrong with you because you're wanting to please others or you're afraid of failing or you are told you need to choose this, whatever it is. And I really think that that's why we're seeing a huge number, I don't know what the number is, right? A huge number, 70% of physicians like leave their first job for something different. Yeah. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of people right now leaving clinical medicine for other things. And I think that sometimes that's awesome. I mean, look what you're doing, but sometimes it is just because you get to the end of a road and you just feel like that's the problem. Like what your wife was just doing, which really she just wasn't in the right spot for her. Yep. You talked about changing jobs recently. I think a lot of people fear not even just getting into medical school, getting through medical school, being a good mom, et cetera, is out and trying to find a job and trying to find a position that will be accepting of the type of mom and the type of uh, life that you want to have. Can you talk about how you found what you have? Okay. First of all, I think that this is a problem we bring on ourselves because medicine makes you feel like there are scarce opportunities. And you guys, you yeah. and I have talked about this, that there's this scarcity feeling because only so many people get into medical school or get into each residency or get into each fellowship. So we are unprepared to negotiate for that first job. One, because we feel like we're lucky to be where we are and we feel this scarcity because that's what we've been told our whole times. 
our whole lives and training. That's what we're told. We're told what to do. We're lucky to be there. We just have to put up with it. And the truth is, you have so much power, you don't even realize it. There are an abundance of opportunities. You can make something look like whatever you want it to look like. When I came out of training, I did not pick the right job for me. I didn't really have a good insight into what I wanted. Nobody would really talk to me much about what jobs look like in my field. So I kind of picked just the opportunity that was in a town that I liked that I thought would fit. And what I realized is that it didn't. And maybe there were certain red flags that I didn't realize about how the clinic was structured or what work-life balance was like or various things in the clinic. But when I moved, here's what I did. I learned what I was unhappy with. And I realized after being burnt out, there's no room for this. There's no time for this. I don't care how long I've trained if I don't want to be in that position again. So I clearly came to the table with a very different mindset. There are jobs out here. People are, are approaching me for jobs. If this one doesn't work, I don't want to just settle for a job. So I said, I want to work this many hours, this many days a week, make this much money, have protection of my intellectual property, and you can pay my non-compete. And that's what I want, or we shouldn't talk. So just really clearly laid things out on the table, which is not at all how I negotiated the first job at all. And so from the beginning, I said, I'm going to work four days a week, eight hours a day. That's all you can get from me. I want to work seven to three. That's it. And... The CEO who I was negotiating with, he had kids, my same kid's age, and he's just really said, fine, that makes good sense. You need to go be a mom too. Otherwise, you're not going to be happy with this job. But I think that's one of the things is we're so worried about same thing, pleasing or feeling humble or not asking for too much that we don't know how to ask for what we need. And then we're setting ourselves up for failure by agreeing to be in a position that doesn't suit us at all. Yeah. Awesome advice. So Natalie, as we wrap up, For the student out there who just listened to this and and hopefully they gained some confidence, but but maybe they're still doubting or still trying to figure out how to have those conversations with people in their life who are doubting their abilities, what last final words of wisdom would you have for them? Find a mentor. Get somebody who's going to be on your team. It doesn't have to be somebody in your dream field, but if you're a young woman, find a female physician out there who is going to be on your team that you can throw these things at, who can support you or give you some guidance for what they've been through. It is the burden of our current generation to help bring up that lower generation and inspire them that the negative talk is not the only thing out there. We're trying, and you can look at the Instagram community. There are so many female physicians out there who are really trying to share what their life is like and they want to be there to support you. If you have access to female mentors who are live and in person with where you are, reach out to them. If you don't, reach out online. And I've had coffee dates when people come to town. I'll talk to them on the phone. I think sometimes just knowing that you're not alone and that somebody else believes in you can make all the difference in what you're trying to do. All right. So there you have it. Again, Dr. Natalie Crawford. You can find her on Instagram and Natalie Crawford, MD, or on her website as well, nataliecrawfordmd.com. And you can find her podcast as a woman wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have a great week. I'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years.
This is MedEd Media.